phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello. Floyd here from Federation Radio. I'm back again. This time with Season 1, Episode 8, What Are Little Girls Made Of? Which is actually kind of a strange title for the episode now I think about it, but that's okay. So, today's episode is actually kind of, sort of, it's sort of a Nurse Chapel-focused episode, which is kind of interesting since she's mostly a side character on the show, so it's cool that she got a bit more. This kind of feels like Roddenberry... You know, the guy that originally created Star Trek, of course. Nurse Chapel is played by his wife, Major Barrett, as we've mentioned. And this feels like him sort of trying to get her forgiveness for having to cut her out of the number one position that she was originally supposed to fill by giving her her own episode pretty early on. I guess. That's my assumption. I don't actually know if that's the case, but that's how it seems. Now, this episode also covers androids. Now, androids are a huge part of the Star Trek universe. Well, sort of. In the new show in Picard, there's a lot of discussion about androids, and obviously in the next generation, there is the character Lieutenant Data, uh, Lieutenant Commander Data, and his brother Law, and also B4 in one of the movies. But, like, yeah, these those androids are all made by a doctor called Sung. They're called Sung-type androids. There's quite a few of them, and there's quite a few Dr. Sungs. Now, this episode's a little bit unique because it's actually covering androids that are not Sung types. These are a much older type of androids designed by a species that we don't actually know their name. They just call them the Old Ones, and they apparently died countless centuries ago. We, yeah, hundreds of thousands of years, I have to presume. But basically, the episode starts. The Enterprise has arrived. It's at a frozen planet. Nurse Chapel is on the bridge. She's talking to the commander about how it's been five years since anyone heard from her fiancé, Dr. Roger. Uh, Dr. Roger Corby, who is supposed to check in, I'm guessing, every couple of months or every year, however it works on these outposts, but he hasn't checked in for five years. Kirk and Spock are kind of like, I don't know if he's still alive. But Nurse Chapel is certain. She says, you have never been engaged. You don't know. I know he's alive. And she's kind of half right. So, they contact the planet. At first, they get nothing. Uhura continues to check all different um, broad... Whatever you call it. Different radio broadcast messaging or whatever. She's just sending it across all signal bands, trying to get a a connection. Now, eventually, they are contacted by Dr. Roger Brown. uh, Roger Corby. And Corby tells them, I have a strange request, Captain. There are things down here that will require great moral questions from you. And because of that, I have to ask that you come down alone, Captain. Now, that's that's a weird request from the beginning. Like, most captains probably shouldn't be going to the surface by themselves. But he ends up saying, okay, but I'll come down with one other person. Nurse Chapel speaks up, and after a few moments, Dr. Corby seems to recognize her voice and says, oh, Christine. Yes, yes, of course. The two of you can come down. That would be most welcome. So they go down. They're in an underground cavern far underneath the surface that is snowy and, you know, apparently minus 100 degrees. Again, I'm still not sure if Star Trek uses Fahrenheit or Celsius, but still. Negative 100 degrees in Celsius or Fahrenheit is goddamn cold. So, you get the idea. Now they get down there, but things aren't as they seem. 
At first, there's nobody there. It's quiet. They arrive at the position, they're looking around, they're like, well, this is interesting, where the hell are they? So Kirk calls up to the ship, and he orders two security guards to report to be transported down to basically assist him, because he doesn't know what's going on, and this kind of feels a bit sus. So, they come down. Kirk play, basically decides they're going to look around the cabin a little bit, they find just outside of the, like, it's not really a doorway, but like an archway, there's a hall that continues, and right next to that hall is a straight drop. Kirk throws a rock down, and it just kind of keeps falling. We keep hearing the echo. We don't really know how deep it goes. So, you know, he decides, I'm going to leave one security guard here at the front, and one of you is going to come with me. And they start heading past this hole, and the security guard seems to slip. Although in reality, I'm pretty sure he is pushed by a very tall alien that we've seen watching them. Well, he's actually an android, but at this point you don't know that. He just seems like a grey-skinned, very tall man. I don't know how tall he'd be exactly. Like, Shatner's not a short man. None of these guys are short. I'd say they're all like 5'11"-ish. And then this guy comes out who has to be 6'4 or something. Like, he towers over them. He's huge. He comes out, but they don't see him. He sort of holds his hand out from a rock. He pushes one of the security guards who then falls down this hole. He then disappears behind the rocks and hides again. Kirk and Nurse Chapel try and do what they can, but it's too late. The security guard's fallen. So Kirk then goes back, speaks to the first... Well, he doesn't go back. He uses his communicator to speak with the security guard who is still standing in the room they initially transported in and says, I want you to check in with me every hour on the hour, and also to check in with the ship every hour on the hour. Tell the ship, and tell Spock, if they do not hear from either one of us, after that time, they are to send a full security team down. Which, you know, great plan. That's, that's a very intelligent way to deal with this. The only problem with that is, because Kirk's not actually in the room and this guy's alone, a few seconds after that, before this guy can actually open his communicator and talk to Spock or anyone on the ship, he is... Well, I think just killed. We don't really... It looks like Ruck, which is the name of this giant android, comes out behind him and just snaps his neck. I don't know if he snaps his neck or if he just knocks him out and puts him somewhere. It definitely... You get the impression that he kills him. I think he just comes in and snaps his neck. Because at this point, Kirk believes for the next hour that he has a security guard there waiting for his signal who is going to be watching out for his back and he believes the ship has been alerted. Reality is it hasn't. Kirk hasn't bothered to communicate with the ship yet because he's continuing on with Nurse Chapel and his two security officers he brought down are now dead. Now, a little while into this cabin, they don't explore too far, another doctor shows up, Dr. Brown. Christine recognizes him straight away as being, you know, Dr. Brown is the assistant of Dr. Corby and she's sort of surprised to see him here, but she's happy. Now, he acts weird. He's a bit rude. He acts really kind of blunt with them, sort of just tells them, come with me, Dr. Corby is busy, he says he would like to see you, if you would please follow me, I know my way through the caverns. It's a shame about your man who died, he, he says, which, you know, Kirk kind of looks at Christine and she just says, I guess living here for five years has, you know, changed him a little. So they follow, because what else are they going to do? They follow, they get down to this I don't know what to call it. You go deep into the cavern and there's like this room. It's an artificial sort of subterranean place. And in this place, we have 
well, Ruck, who shows up pretty quickly and disarm, well, doesn't disarm the captain straight away, but he shows up and he stands behind Dr. Corby, who then introduces himself, along with another android who just basically looks like a half-naked girl, who, by the way, you can see her nipples straight through her dress, which 100% was intentional. <laughs> but, you know, she's also an android, although, again, remind you, at this point, Kirk and Christine don't even know there are androids here. They believe all these people are real. Until Dr. Corby starts to explain about how he was on this planet exploring the ruins and the caverns, trying to find leftovers of the civilization that was once here, because presumably he studies it. Sorry, my dog just decided he wanted to be in the podcast. But yes, presumably Dr. Corby was studying the, this leftover civilization, which, fair enough, we see a lot of architectural history and people that go through and study long-lost cultures all through the Federation throughout all the shows, so that's a fairly common thing. We even see captains having that as their hobby more than once. But Dr. Corby isn't quite what he appears. He very quickly sort of mentions, would you be surprised to hear, and he points at the beautiful woman in the room and says that she, Andrea, I think her name was, she is an android. And they get a little confused at that because they're like, what the hell are you talking about? She looks real. And basically, it's just an ongoing story. I don't need to go through the whole thing, but, you know, it's an ongoing story of them trying to work out what's happening. Like, Christine says to the captain, there's something about him. He is still him. I can't explain it, but he is as much him as you are you and I am me. I'm like, she's certain that that is him. His personality isn't that different. He's just been living here a while. She doesn't know at this point what's going on. Now, eventually, this all breaks down. Kirk realizes what's happening, that, you know, he's creating androids. And he starts making comments about how, I need your help. Androids are the way of the future. We need more androids. I need you to help me with your ship, with no questions asked, without alerting any of the authorities, to get me somewhere where I can get more materials to create lots more androids. By the time I put them all through society, it'll be too late for hysteria to ruin it. They'll be everywhere. They will be settled in. One thing I did notice, though, is he doesn't mention what's going to happen to the people he's presumably replacing with these androids. Presumably he's going to kill them, because this is a whole androids are better than people type story. Because, as he says, androids are orderly, androids are stable, androids do not need to eat, they do not need to sleep, they are far more intelligent, and they can be programmed, which means that they don't have all the problems that come with freedom, like some people choosing to do bad things or choosing to do stupid things because they're all programmed to be logical, like computers. Which, you know, sounds great in theory, but if you've ever tried to run any kind of simulated city or life in any kind of video game, you know, even though that AI is very basic in comparison, like, it doesn't quite work the way you would think it does on paper. Like, when you start doing it, it never quite functions the way you think. A full Android society would not be perfect. It would have a lot of problems. Anyway, he is convinced. At this point... Captain Kirk is disarmed because he tries to make an escape when he realizes what's happening and why he was asked to come here alone, because obviously he wants to make an android of him and take over his ship to be able to keep propagating this, which is a pretty serious security threat to the entire Federation, and especially Earth. And, you know, probably to Kirk, more importantly, his ship and his crew. Who knows what they're going to do to them and how many of them will be replaced and what will happen to those who are replaced. We've seen before... He gets real pissed off when his men die. He does not like his crew being threatened. 
So, he gets captured. Rock overpowers him because, like I said, he's this giant six-foot-four thing. He's an android. He's pretty damn strong. Now, Kirk is put into a machine, and it just looks like a turntable where he is put there basically naked, along with what looks like a person made out of all I can say is gelatine or something. It's like a green, mossy, humanoid shape. And it is put on the other side of the turntable. Now... <laughs> you got to love 1960s way of doing things. It's like these bluish-green panels on the wall, and they've got these red, what looks like safety valves, that are like red and yellow and all these bright colours. And we see Andrea and Dr. Corby. They're spinning these knobs, and all these sounds are going off. And eventually it starts spinning, Captain Kirk's there, and then it keeps spinning, and they do these kind of creative, like, way of showing it. It's like different camera angles of it spinning, close-ups on the Kirk's face, close-ups on the turntable, then it zooms out and shows the whole thing spinning. Like They're really trying to give you an idea from all angles what this looks like. And then it slows down. And we sort of notice as it's spinning that the green body is becoming Kirk. Now, when it stops, we see from basically Nurse Chapel's point of view... She asks Kirk, are you okay? And he says, under the circumstances, I'm as good as I can be. And that, Oh, sorry. And then, the turntable turns around a little bit, and Dr. Corby says, well, can you tell the difference? And we see another Kirk sitting there, and as soon as it turns around, he says, hello, Miss Chapel. It's good to see you. And the voice is perfect. Everything seems fine. We already saw earlier, Rock, when he contacted the Enterprise, managed to do a perfect simulation of Kirk's voice and basically convince Spock that everything was okay. Now, one thing that is interesting, and I kind of wish had been more of a plot point, because it sort of started, and we saw it happen, and then it got thrown away for whatever reason. I'm guessing it was cutting in the writer's room. But as the machine was spinning, Dr. Corby says, this android is going to have all the memories, all the experiences, he's going to be everything that Kirk is, and more. Kirk overhears this, and he starts whispering to himself, trying to... In my mind, he's trying to implant a thought or a certain message into this Captain Kirk android, hoping that Spock would realize what that message meant. <laughs> and here's the message, because it's pretty damn funny. He says, Mr. Spock, I am sick of your half-breed interference. And he keeps whispering to himself, Mr. Spock, I am sick of your half-breed interference. Mr. Spock, and he keeps doing it. Now, sure enough, later in this episode, that android actually goes up to the ship, to collect some data and things like that, I guess to find a planet that would be suitable for what Dr. Corby wants, to mine more minerals, to create more androids. And when he's up there, Mr. Spock sort of shows up because he sees Kirk walk past. He's like, Captain, I, I wasn't aware you were back. You're back sooner than expected. What what's happening? What's going on with the mission? And the android Kirk, who by the way looks perfect, he's in his uniform, he's acting fairly much like Kirk. A little ruder, but basically like Kirk. He's almost indistinguishable, turns around and says, Mr. Spock, I am sick of your half-breed interference. Which, I don't know, that seemed to alert Spock, I think exactly like Kirk was hoping, that something's wrong. Now, Spock follows his orders, lets him go, lets him beam back down to the planet with the information that he has on his own, and then straight afterwards he says, security team, with me, meet me in the transporter room. So, because obviously, Spock's picked up, like, Kirk would not just call him, especially so rudely, a half-breed and say that he's sick of his interference. Kirk likes Spock. 
He plays games with him sometimes. He makes jokes. Sometimes he makes Vulcan jokes at his expense, but he's not rude, and he's definitely not racist. And he's even made a point multiple times, like, he does not put up with bigotry on his bridge. He doesn't like that sort of thing. He lets McCoy go because McCoy, like him, is joking. They're joking around. They're friends with Spock. Spock doesn't take it personally. This, however, was different. This message was a quick... It was a very intelligent move by Kirk. He had very little things he could do. He was strapped down to a table, no communicator, no weapon. The one thing he could do was try and get a message to Spock, and he did that very successfully. Now, unfortunately, their security team really didn't mean anything because Spock gets there after the whole story is sort of over. The door opens after it's all solved, and there's Spock. Like, it's good that he was coming to help, but kind of seemed pointless to the story of the episode because he got there after everything had happened. He was no real help. Which, to me, feels like a bit of a shame, but also that feels like something I think originally he was meant to come save the day, and somewhere along the line they decided to change that in the writer's room and cut up and change the story. Because that feels like a plot point that was sort of dropped and then half left there. But anyway. Oh, you know, so... Before Kirk... When Kirk got taken prisoner, I should say, Ruck did overpower him, but at the time, Dr. Brown, the other android who was made to look like the Doctor... Uh, tried, pulled a weapon on him, and Kirk had no choice but to fire on him. And he blew a hole in him, which is the initial how we worked out all these people are androids and something is very wrong here. Of course, Kirk went to go through the door and Ruck grabbed him and disarmed him, and that's how we ended up with Kirk on a turntable becoming an android, or an android of him being created. But, you know, just to let you know, Dr. Brown's android, dead at this point. And that freaked out Nurse Christie. She saw the circuitry inside his stomach when he blew, when Kirk blew a hole in. Was like, "What the hell? Like you would? You freak out? You think it's an old friend of a fiance and it's just a robot? Like what the hell's going on?" Now, at this point, Kirk makes a weird sort of move. He tries to escape. You know, they, at first there's a dinner, and at the dinner, Nurse Christie thinks she's talking to Kirk, but she's not. It's actually the android, and then the real Kirk shows up, and they have a bit of banter about how, well, you'll never know the pleasure of eating. And the android Kirk goes, well, I'll never starve to death either. And, you know, th that sort of thing. The typical banter you'd expect, the sort of fun stuff. But when we get back to the main story, it's... Kirk tries to escape. He basically manages to untie himself from dinner uses the rope that was tying his hand to the chair to strangle um, Dr. Corby. Which, we'll get back to that, but that's kind of interesting that he was able to do that. To sort of strangle him, tell the others to stay away or he'd kill him, and then used him as a prisoner to get to the door until he pushed him back in the room and then ran into the cabins to try and escape. Now, Ruck goes after him. <laughs> Kirk tries to hit him with a huge piece of rock that he managed to snap off the roof and, you know, presumably used to defend himself. Rock catches it with, like, one arm again, disarms him, slaps him once, nearly throws him down a hole, but Rock was ordered to bring him back, not kill him, so he picks him up with one hand, lifts him up, carries him back. Now, at this point, Kirk starts playing games because he realizes that there's a bit of a split between Corby and the other androids. He thinks they're just emotionless robots, but Kirk has started to notice little things. Like the robot Andrea shows a bit of jealousy at the fact that Christine's here, and then shows confusion at why Christine seems jealous about it. So Kirk plays on this. He tells the other android to kiss him, the Andrea one, when he's in his cell. And they kiss, they make out for a little bit. And it's interesting, at one point the robot sort of pushes back with the android and says, No, I am not programmed for you. 
then he ends up having a conversation with Rock, who comes in the room afterwards. And he says, Rock, how long have you been here? You were reprogrammed by Dr. Corby, but also you were programmed initially by the old ones that created you. What happened to them? What happened? Because Kirk started to realize there's an emotional part of these androids. Some of that human emotion has been transported across, and he suspects, and he's correct, Ruck has the same problem from presumably the old one's emotions being carried over. Ruck basically admits throughout this conversation that yes, he had forgotten because it was so long ago, so many centuries ago, but he and the other androids... The old one started to get jealous of them when they started to implement androids all through the world, because of course they did. They're superior beings that don't need to sleep and eat. How do you compete with that? That's going to create some social issues. Now, Ruck admits, eventually... The old ones started trying to switch off most of the androids. And of course, the androids, out of self-preservation, started to fight back. A story as old as time when it comes to sci-fi. Race creates robots to increase their life, gets worried or jealous about robots, few acts of violence, robots eventually reach sentience through self-defense and kill their creators. It's done in almost every sci-fi somewhere. You know, so Ruck admits this and then he kind of laughs. He's like, you're right. I do remember this. And then Kirk sort of says, well, why do you listen to Dr. Corby? He's a human. He came here and brought disorder to your order, your android orderly world, just like the old ones did. Why do you listen to him? And Ruck sort of, after a while, goes, yes, you're right. Disorder came from him. Now, at this point, Dr. Corby shows up at the door to come and talk to Kirk. But Ruck is obviously angry. He's been stirred up. He turns around and goes to attack Dr. Corby. Now, Dr. Corby is forced to defend himself, pulls out a phaser, and blows Rock away. Kills him. But that sort of annoys him. At that point, he gets on the communicator to Andrea, who is now the only other android left in the cabin, because remember, Rock and Dr. Brown are now dead. And the Kirk one has only... Oh, sorry, the Kirk one is around, but that one he has other goals for, so the Andrea one's the only one he can use for protection. So he calls the Andrea one and says, Get a weapon. I need you to protect me. She gets the weapon, and she goes out into the hall and sees Kirk. Except it's Android Kirk. And she says, will you kiss me to him? Because obviously she's been having second thoughts about whether she is loyal to the Corby or not. I guess she liked kissing Kirk. She sees this Kirk, presumes it's the real Kirk, which is kind of funny. That even the Android can't tell the difference between the real life and the Android version of Kirk. And when he says, no kissing you would be illogical and immediately like rejects her she gets really upset she fires her phaser and destroys that kirk she then comes to the room where dr corby is standing with christine and the real kirk and she sees kirk and as she's coming in the room she says i saw kirk in the hallways he tried to escape i was forced to destroy and then she turns and sees the real kirk and realizes what she's done now at this point she's confused they're all a little confused Dr. Corby is like, what the hell have you done? You've destroyed my Kirk. Like, we're going to have to make another one. We're going to have to look at your programming. And she starts to get upset. She sort of goes up to him and is like, why won't you kiss me? All these things. There's a little fight that breaks out as Kirk tries to escape. And during that fight, Dr. Corby's hand is damaged. And the fight fully stops at that point because everyone sees when the skin lifts up off his hand, it's circuitry. Dr. Corby is an android just as much as all the creations here. That's when he tells us the truth. He says, I was dying. You have no idea what it was like. I was in the frost. 
I had no legs, my body was shutting down, and my brain was in a state between life and death. That was when Rock found me. And presumably, Rock put him in a machine and created an android, just like we saw happen with Kirk earlier. Presumably, the real Corby died who knows how long ago, probably four or five years ago. This Corby, who has all of his emotions, all of his memories, and everything else that comes with him, has been living out the life of Corby with Rock down here, with starting this whole plan. And Christine, at this point, almost breaks. Like, obviously, her, she realizes her real fiancé is long dead. This is a fake copy of him. This is not the real him. Her feelings are real, but nothing else is. You know, and then Andrea sort of says to the android one, you are like me, why will you not kiss me? And after a little while, he sort of does. He goes to kiss her, and at that point, while their bodies are kissing, because they're touching, she pulls the trigger on the phaser, destroying both of them together. Andrea, I mean. The Andrea robot is kissing the robot Dr. Corby, and both of them are disintegrated, presumably because she, the way she sees it, he's going to leave her. He's going to leave her for Christy, He's going to do other things, he's going to bring other humans here, or he's going to go create more androids. He's going to bring disorder, and it's going to tear them apart. So, she blows him away, along with herself, ending the entire android threat. Kirk, you know, and at that point, that's when the doors open, and Spock's there with a the whole security team. And it's like, cool, go Spock, you're here late. But, um, better late than never. But yeah. So, this is a weird episode. Basically, they go back to the ship, I should say. Christine decides she's going to not give up her duties on the ship. She's going to remain as a nurse. And all is well, for the most part. Unfortunately, her fiancé is dead. She has that confirmed. All the androids are gone. They don't really say what they're going to do about the planet. Because presumably, all the technology to make androids and the knowledge about what happened and who they all were is still down there. And could be discovered by anyone. Not to mention in the reports to Starfleet or to the Federation are probably going to be discussed and I'm really interested in what they did with this because it never really comes up again. It's kind of this weird technology that's, you know it exists, it's in the universe and later on when we're doing all the data stuff and the other android storylines, like, I always found it fascinating that this planet never came up again. Why does no one come back here? Like, I would have thought Commander Data would have wanted to come here, but like I said, it very rarely gets mentioned again, or if ever. But I don't know. This is a planet I could actually see making a comeback in perhaps one of the new shows like Lower Decks or something, doing a second visit to the planet. Maybe checking in to see what's happening. Maybe the machines have created more, we don't know, but I don't know. I just, I can't shake the feeling this is a planet that a Star Trek will eventually bring back up in some way, because it is cool, it's a great concept, and honestly, in both old and modern track, there is a lot of Android storylines. And this world, with machinery to create more, feels like kind of a lost arc of treasures that all those storylines could be pulling from, and they're not. But anyway, like, yeah. It was pretty smart of Kirk to realize that they had emotions, and he outsmarted them, because once again, Kirk is brilliant. Nurse Christie stays, which is fun. we still got Majel Barrett aboard. And, yeah, I mean, that's really the end of the episode. There's not a whole lot else to say other than the fact that I find it to be a fascinating episode. Well, I will say, one, one note I did make is the way Dr. Corby and Kirk and everyone talks about androids in this episode is interesting, given how much more interaction with androids we'll get in the future. 
saying that an android is just a computer just a very um advanced computing machine it doesn't have emotions it's not that different to the ship to your ship's computer that's an interesting point of view to have because later on we're going to talk a lot more about what exactly is sentience what exactly is an independent being because data in voyager there's the holographic doctor like there's a lot of these characters that really push the boundaries on what a sentient life form is and whether something being created versus being genetically born slowly through evolution grants it life because that's a question that is brought up a lot and i'll say in our modern world that's a question that is brought up a lot both in hollywood movies and other sci-fi but also in real life we don't quite have ai's yet but we have machines that are very close to ai we have machines that have the capability of learning we have robots that at this point look pretty damn human we're getting very good at doing the fake skin now we're not at the point of doing fake pulses and having you know warmth i presume if you touch the machines we have now they still feel cold and like robots but they look human the intelligence is growing we're getting better the days until we have to ask these questions about what is a sentient being and what rights those sentient beings deserve even if they're created by us is coming and it's coming quickly it's coming at a very scary rate that i honestly don't think humanity is ready for but it's coming regardless of whether we're ready there are too many people around the world investing in this for it not to happen and besides you know we're not as religious as we used to be as a species but this idea of creating life and almost becoming a god in creating life ourselves is something that's been around even in our most ancient mythological tales there are jewish tales of golems where they create these stone or mud beings that become human well not human but they become living and they're able to follow out the instructions and there are stories where such beings portray humans this is a concept that humanity has thought about and has experimented with loosely for possibly hundreds maybe thousands of years it seems to be something deeply ingrained in humans where we want to create life that is like us most people just have kids but there are people there are artists that create statues there are people that create machines there are people who create or are attempting to create ai there are humans like the writers of this episode who think about these concepts and try and work out what might happen when it happens because at this point it is really more of a when and not an if because this seems to be a deep-seated part of humanity that we want to create life and creating artificial life is more well, frankly easier you can have a kid sure but there's a good chance that kid at some point in their life will ask themselves these exact same questions and as technology changes every generation these questions become more and more relevant not less <laughs> which yeah i don't know i don't know what the solution to that is again star trek's just good at making you ask questions and think which is probably why it has encouraged generations at this point of scientists because even myself i'm more i'm not qualified at either but as much as i love science and i try and understand i would personally say i'm more of a historian than i am a scientist i find the study of culture and history far more interesting and relevant and easier to grasp than i do most science that doesn't mean i discount science lots of science is fascinating and i read a lot about it and i try my best to keep up to date with what's happening as much as i struggle to i do try but anyway that is the episode what are little girls made of and next week we will be following that up with a new episode well not a new episode but an episode called 
Miri. I don't know. I have no memory of that episode. I don't really remember what it's about. But, uh, yeah. Miri is going to be the next episode for day four of the seven-day special tomorrow. And I'll also add, for anybody that knows, I... Well, for anybody that remembers the episode Menagerie, we're going to be doing that, apparently, at day seven. And I've decided, since that is Star Trek's very first part one and part two episode, so it's two episodes, it was aired as separate episodes, but they are the one storyline carrying across, I think I've decided throughout this review series, all the part one and twos I'm going to do as one episode, because it's one storyline and I feel like they should be treated that way. Now... Menagerie is going to be day seven. Now, I didn't plan this. This was completely, like I said in the first one, I just wanted to get through some more episodes a little faster. But, um, yeah, this is actually a really good way. Day seven is going to be Menagerie, a really cool episode, which is sort of a sequel follow-up of episode zero with Captain Pike. And if my memory serves me right, Captain Pike actually is in the episode with Kirk. I think it's the one and only episode where those two are in a scene together. And that's going to be fun. I'm actually really looking forward to that. But anyway, tomorrow we will be back with the episode Miri. And until then, have a good day and I'll see you all next time.